0: It is sure good to see everyone here. We definitely appreciate our visitor. I want to echo what Jacob said this morning. Tonight wasn't much better. The roads were empty as we came here tonight. As some of you mentioned, there's not a lot of things open today, but you're here, and that's because you value the study and examination of God's Word, and I sincerely appreciate that. I was asking our kids um, a few weeks ago when uh, there was a lesson brought that I was, I was thinking about and I needed to pivot, what should we talk about tonight? And they asked me what day it was and I told them it will be on uh, December 25th and they said, you know, we have never heard a lesson on Christmas and what our stance as Christians should be. They've heard us as parents talk about this, but they're like, we've never heard a lesson. And so I started thinking, and I can confidently say, you know, let's debate 30, 35 years. I don't remember five to 10 all that well. I don't think I have ever heard a detailed examination of why we act one way and so many in the world around us seem to act a different way. So tonight, I would like us to examine Christmas What does the Bible say? And as we enter this topic and this study this evening, let us remember it is a good thing to ask questions. Our children here that attend, us as adults, don't be afraid if you see something, if it's confusing. Let's be willing to ask a question and then turn to the scriptures to understand what God has said. Now, there will be many that depend upon their emotions or depend upon their feelings. There will be others that come up with their own ideas. They will pluck scriptures out of context. They will redefine words because it suits their thoughts better. But hopefully as we go through this study tonight, it'll help inform a process of how do we go back to the Bible How do we understand what God wants us to do, and how do we live in accordance to God's Word? So tonight, the first question we're going to ask is "Is Christmas in the Bible, and some of us probably know the answer to that, but I went ahead, and, and several of us here use Blue Letter Bible. It's an online tool. It's got a concordance and lexicon references, and I typed in the word Christmas, as you can see in the word search, and... Not shocking to many of us here. There were zero times it is used in zero verses in the New King James. Now I was going to go to the ASV and the KJV and and all the different ones to show, but it's it's all the same results. There's no reason for us to look at a bunch of slides. There is, if you see on the facts, uh, the frequently asked questions, um, a two. That is to some commentaries that give some responses to the word Christmas but there is nothing in scriptures that talk about Christmas and that's an important fact let's just and let us read the, we're looking at a topic let's go back to the bible does it exist where does it exist and let us read those scriptures but in this case we're starting from a point that it doesn't exist in the bible but let's expand that to two other areas and ask well is the birth date of Jesus mentioned in scriptures, the exact day, month, and year. Can we find that? And the answer is obviously no, we can't. We're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, shortly. And then the third one is, which is also important, well, because if there's a command to observe something, we better be sure to follow that. And so is there a command to observe or to remember Jesus' birth in the Scriptures? And you can search throughout the entire Bible, and the answer will be every time, no. So how do we get Christmas? What is the history of Christmas? And so I'm going to review a few uh, quotes from a couple different sources. Um, What I can tell everyone is there's a lot of sources you can go to, but there's Pretty good consensus. Maybe not to the exact year Christmas is set or the exact day because there's an Eastern and a Western and then those merge. There was a beginning of January and there was a beginning of or the end of December. But there's general consensus around these uh, four quotes that I pulled for us to look at. And the first one is from the Catholic Encyclopedia. And it says, Christmas was not among the earliest festivals of the church. Irenaeus and Tertullian omit it from their list of feasts. Well, first of all, we have an issue here. It mentions feast of the early church or festivals. Well, if we read our scriptures in our New Testament, we will see that God did not put in place the festivals. That, that is bringing... Over this idea from the Old Testament, but it is there from uh, the scriptures of the New Testament. And so we would not expect there to be festivals and the world pretty much recognizes that wasn't in existence in the beginning. Then we go to the World Book Encyclopedia. They say there in the year 354, again, there's a little bit of discrepancy of the exact year, but around this date, a specific date was set or sorry, around that year. Uh, by authority of the Bishop of Rome, Liberius chose December twenty-first, fifth, because of the feast of the Sun or Winter Solstice, a Roman feast which was traditionally celebrated at this time. Okay, so we're 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 doing something around this date. There's a a Roman festival, and for some reason we we um, there were men that felt there should be a a different festival that offsets so. Let's dive into that a little bit more as we research. And so the Grow Your Interactive had this to say, despite the beliefs about Christ that the birth stories expressed, the church did not observe a festival. Again, we see that word festival for the celebration of the event until the fourth century, which coincides with what we just saw. The date was chosen, notice, to counter this pagan festivities Connected with the winter solstice since 274 AD, under the Emperor Aurelian of Rome, had celebrated the feast of the invincible sun on December 25th. So, we're starting to get some clarity on what's happening. How does this come into place in the history of time? So, we have this Roman pagan celebration, this festival of the winter solstice. And then you have this other feast that happens some two centuries later to counteract that. So let's go to one more source. The New International, uh, New International Encyclopedia. This is what it says. The same instance which sets Natalis Invicti, a festival of the birthday of the sun, at the winter solstice, the time when the days begin getting longer will have sufficed to set the Christian feast there too. This wish to place a Christian feast in opposition to the Feast of the Sun at the winter solstice may have had weight. So that helps us tie together this bow, I feel, in, in the research that I did, that you have this pagan worship of the winter solstice. What is the winter solstice? We've mentioned that a couple times and I, I see some of our younger kids with big eyes of what is that? It is the moment where the shortest day is, um, is reached and now the sun is coming back closer to the earth and the days are getting longer. And so they were celebrating in a pagan way the idea of the sun come back to us, make our days warmer. Now we know that the idol worship and the praising of the sun is not authorized by God. But what happened in about the fourth century is the Catholics said, Hey, we're bringing all these pagans in. They are celebrating this pagan festival. We need to offset it. We need to come up with a way that we get their minds out of, out of this pagan worship of the sun and come back to worshiping something tied to God. So they created a festival. And that festival is referenced as Christmas. Worshipping the sun is is nothing new. We've been looking at that in Genesis and Exodus. The Egyptians idolized the sun and the moon gods, these these idols that they created. God was not pleased with that. What did God want? God wanted His creation, us, us to worship Him, the Creator, not other things He created, such as the sun and the moon. So in contrast, these, the Catholics instituted this festival called Christmas. But is that how we deal with situations? When we are sowing the seed in the world, and we come across people with habits of, uh, of worldly backgrounds... Is it for us to kind of okay you 've got this, let me come up with something that counteracts that? Is that the teachings we should take on clearly not let 's go to um, what should have been the focus. A great example of this is in Colossians chapter three and verse seven through ten in Colossians chapter three seven through ten we read in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, we could apply this you when you were um, not a Christian, and you celebrated this Roman festival of the winter solstice. That, that's a, a similar, you once walked in that. But in verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to another, since you have put off the old man, which is... Which, his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. That's the approach that should have been happening, but that's not what occurred. And because of that, we have this creation of Christmas. And similarly, the adoption of the tree, the mistletoe, the Yule log, all of those have been repurposed out of these pagan observances. So we asked ourselves first, is Christmas in the Bible? Is the identification of Jesus' birth in the Bible, and are we commanded to observe it? And all three answers were unequivocally no. Then we've looked at the third. But I think we would be remiss if we did not pause for a second and recognize the current culture we live in And the battle that's occurring around Christmas, because that's influenced some people's um, rejection, in all honesty, of the Word of God. There's very few people that are willing to do what we're doing here tonight, to analyze and to ask these questions, because there's a culture war happening in America. And if you're a Protestant or a quote-unquote religious Christian background, you have to stand up. You have to defend this Christmas. And why is that? Well, if you went on the internet at all and looked at just a few websites, you would see that there is a, a, a culture war that's occurring. And you have this, this last couple... That is not what is on my screen. There we go. You have this um, culture war that's occurring where you're either a... Happy holidays, individual, which is now under the umbrella of inclusive of all. If you don't believe in a God, if you do believe in a God, just come as you are, just have happy holidays of this time of year. Or are you a Christian and do you support Christmas? That's what's occurring, this battle that's taking place. If you were to say happy holidays and you come to church and you believe in God and you want to follow God's word, people will just instantaneously assume you don't. That's where this has evolved to. But this is connected to the moral decline. Um, I have no idea why this is. It's, it's delayed. Um, it's connected to the moral decline of the society that we're living in. And we, uh, just two community Bible studies ago, dove deep into um, that. And again, this idea of are you having some religious background or should you put all that away? This is old. This is not relevant anymore. And so then you get these headlines, such as war on Christmas. I mean, it was the first thing on a webpage yesterday when I was just browsing around to look. Uh, that was the headline, the, the big eye catcher. I went to another website, because I'm like, okay, what, what's, what are we seeing? And these are uh, um, popular news um, outlets. The war on Christmas is a war on America. And then it went even further. And this was written, again, I've, I've taken out the name and I've tried to hide who it was written about. Um, but if you've been following the news, you, you know who it is. I, I just didn't feel that was important. But listen to the defense of Christmas. It's very important. Again, about the war on Christmas. Fill in the blank, this individual can't seem to come to grips with the fact that Christmas is about Jesus Christ. You don't have to love or worship Jesus Christ to acknowledge that. You just have to acknowledge that the reason that there is such a thing as Christmas, which means the mass of Christ or the worship of Christ, is because it's about Jesus born 2,000 years ago. Shouldn't shouldn't be that hard. This individual went on to say, yes, it's a story story that's 2000 years old but it's still very much alive today just look into the eyes of the child on christmas morning or listen to the laughter of a family together this holiday season after years after years of being apart we just went through the history of christmas it was not about jesus christ now yes it's evolved but there is nothing here concrete of an evaluation or examination of scriptures this is playing on the strings of hearts and emotions and feelings. What does God say and what does God allow us and authorize us to do? So there's come common sayings that we'll come across. Put Christ back in Christmas. Reason for the season. Or remember the true meaning of Christmas. Well, we just went to the true meaning of Christmas and it's for the winter solstice. And so... People have hijacked it, but it's become engagingly so because, again, of this this cultural war that we find ourselves in. But there's one more thing. There's a new over again that I have been hearing over and over and over again. And it's in response to a simple fact, a simple fact that we started out with. And that is, ask Fifty people, what year was Jesus born? And you will get a variety of dates. Then ask them, well, what about the month? What month was Jesus born? That's even broader. And then try to pick a day you have no hope. But there's a lot of guesses. There's a lot of opinions out there. There's a lot of thoughts. And so we have and we're wrestling with this idea People are having to, if they want to be honest with themselves, December 25th is, is not the day that Jesus was born. We commonly go um, to Luke chapter two and verse eight to show that December uh, 25th would not be the date, because of uh, we read in scriptures. Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. There's a commentary by Adams, Clark on Luke 2, 8, and he says this. We find that the sheep were kept out in the open country during the whole of the summer. And as these shepherds had not yet brought home their flocks, it is presumptive argument that October had not yet commenced and that consequently our Lord was not born on the 25th of December when no flocks were out in the fields nor could have been born later than September as the flocks were still in the fields by night. On this very ground, the nativity in December should be given up. But again, people are emotionally drawn to this concept of trying to attach something that had nothing to do, a date that had nothing to do with the Bible or Jesus' birth to attach it to his birth. And so we have to be able to look at what facts we have to analyze that. But this gets back to the adoption argument that is becoming so popular. And that is, um, a grandfather approached me and he said, you know, you don't celebrate Jesus as Christ on Christmas. And I said, no, sir, we, we do not. He said, well, let me tell you, I, I used to not either. I, I, I believe like you, Luke 2, 8 and, and other indications would be that December 21st is not. Jesus' birthday, which a lot of people are coming to that realization. He said, but you know what? My children, they adopted. They adopted this beautiful, beautiful girl. And we don't know any details about her birth. We actually don't even know the date of her birth. We've identified a date of her birth just because we love her so much and we want to celebrate her existence. and, And so we've estimated the best we can and we've set this date and that's her birthday. And yes, while Jesus and, and God through the Word of God did not give us an exact date, well, it's, it's an important mo- moment in, in Christianity. This is the fulfillment of the seed promise. What is wrong with us identifying a date for Jesus and, and remembering it? Well, this, this grandfather that, that approached me and had this conversation is a preacher. And this is the approach he has brought forth to his congregation. I did a little bit of research on the web, and as you all know, we put our sermons up there. You can find what someone's opinion is and thoughts are. It's the exact same plea that he made in front of an entire congregation. And they all have adopted it. But is that okay? Is that a good logic and a thought process that we should implore in our lives? Should we adopt that philosophy in how we live As a Christian, well, let's continue before we get to that specific question. One more point. Nothing we are doing here is saying or implicating that the birth of Jesus is not important. We have recognized as we've gone through Genesis and Exodus that this is the fulfillment to Abraham, the seed promise was Jesus' birth. That is the promise that Jesus would come to this earth. The entire Bible from this promise points to the one event for sin. It's prophesied throughout the entire Old Testament. There are details in these prophecies. Word search, sorry. Corrected that. In these prophecies that would indicate when Jesus would be born. There were signs That when these things were taking place, men of significant position in the Jewish community actually wrote, this is happening, but the Messiah has not come. They were rejecting this Jesus of Nazareth and looking for an earthly king. They knew. They knew when it was supposed to take place. We cannot and would not ever say anything other than that Jesus' birth was a miracle. And Jesus coming to earth in human form was determined before the foundations of the world to be the answer to the unpayable debt of sin. We see in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 through 21 knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood. Of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was fordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. We also see in John 3:16, as Ben mentioned for us this morning. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not... birth is very important to the... ...have everlasting life. Jesus' birth is very important to the gospel message. It's something we should teach our children. It's something we should review and remember the facts and the details of because it provides an unbelievable opportunity to engage with people, especially this time of year. But if people see that you are, quote unquote, in their eyes, religious, and then you don't pick apart a day out of thin air to raise up Jesus' birth, it also produces a great opportunity to have a conversation. And that's never a bad thing. So let's get to our last two points. I do not know why these two are not connected. And that is God's authority versus man's intentions. Let's look for just a moment at the good intentions, strong emotions, and man's logic when God had not said something, when God had said something, and what is the outcome of that? Because we have to submit to God's authority. And this isn't a lesson on God's authority. Jacob did a great lesson, if, especially for those that listen to our podcast or on our website. Back on January 3rd, 2021, a lesson titled um, The Implications of Acting Without Authority. That, that's a more thorough explanation into what we're going to just briefly discuss today. But without God's authority, we do not need to be participating in anything because of the consequences we're going to look at. And first of all, silence is not authority. We see this at the priesthood in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12 through 14. Because of time, I'm going to skip this, but it's a great verse to read. And the main point here that many of us know is that there is nothing in the Old Testament that said a priest could not come from the tribe of Judah, the tribe that Jesus came from. But it only had said that the priests were to come Of the tribe of the Levites. And so, this is a passage that shows just because something is not said, don't do this, does not provide us the ability to go do it if we feel like it. That's a very important concept. And again, I encourage anyone to go back to that January 3rd, 2021 lesson that is on our website. But let's look at a couple examples. And the first I wanna look at is what we just studied two weeks ago in Exodus. And that is Aaron's compromise. So Moses is gone to set the scene. He's been gone in uh, chapter 32 for 40 days. The people are wondering what has happened to him. Will he return to us? And so they decide that they need a golden calf, an idol to, to represent the gods in plurality. Again, relying on the paradigm of where they just came from in Egypt to lead them back. And so Aaron's in this position He's in this position that he and all of the uh, congregation of the Israelites had heard God say, do not worship idols. That's already been laid down. That foundation has been established. Everybody knows this. Aaron knows he's not supposed to do this. So what does he do? He decides to do uh, what we read in Exodus 32, 5. He compromises. He says, so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. He took what they were doing in a pagan realm and said, you know what? Instead of standing firm and strong on the word of God, I'm going to compromise. I'm going to have a one foot in and one foot out. I'm going to help you create this idol. Still he Aaron, but it's to the glory of God. He was still, he, Aaron was looking to God. The people weren't, but he's like, Okay, how can I make this work? What did God think about Aaron's compromise? In Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 20, and the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time Aaron for his compromise for his thinking how to solve this problem God wanted to destroy him Is it good for man to fill in the blank and to think about how to make all of this work and and but it's for the glory of God Is that not what Aaron said who was Aaron promoting a feast? Did God authorize this feast? No. He says tomorrow's a feast. Did God say I want a feast? To the Lord. But it's for you, God. And God's response is that he was going to destroy Aaron if not for Moses. Let's look at King Saul. Saul. And his reasoning. First Samuel chapter 13 is the background where Gilgal and the Philistines encamped at Mishmash. But the Philistines brought a bunch of soldiers. And we're not talking a thousand. This is what it says about the soldiers he brought in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 5. And the people... As the sand which is on the seashore in the multitude. Was this a lot of people? It was a lot of people. The Israelites were terrified. King Saul was terrified. So he he was told and instructed to wait seven days for Samuel to come to him. So the seventh day comes. He's nervous. Because why? Samuel, a prophet of God, has not come to offer a sacrifice. So what does King Saul decide to do? Well, this is desperate times. Desperate measures are required. God will surely not mind this unique situation. Samuel, who knows if he's going to come here? Who knows if he's going to be here for this sacrifice? I'll make a sacrifice. And as soon as he is done, who shows up? Samuel. And what does Samuel tell him? Let's look at First Samuel chapter 13, starting in verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which He commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. But this was a desperate situation. Samuel wasn't there. There's enough people from the Philistines that are like the sand of the seashore. We're terrified, God. We need you. We needed to do this. When man's logic gets in the way, bad things happen. You know, as I was studying Uzzah, I forgot um, that prior in verse 3 in Second uh, Samuel chapter 6, I've forgotten that when the ark was um, retrieved, that it spent some time at Uzzah's father's house. We don't know the exact length of time that Uzzah was around the Ark of the Covenant in his house as protection while David comes and gets it. But I'd completely forgotten about that in my readings and analyzing why did Uzzah do what he did. He'd become, an, he'd become familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. Was that a common thing for a man of Uzzah, not of the Levites? To have that access to the Ark of the Covenant? No. Where was the Ark of Covenant supposed to be? It was supposed to be in the Most Holy. And now it was brought forth at certain times with God's commands out to the public, but it was a rare occasion. And so Uzzah has had this time with the Ark. Again, we don't know the amount of time. But we do know the story in 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And when they came to uh, Nachon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. Was it Uzzah's decision to transport the ark back to Jerusalem on a cart pulled by oxen against the word of God is where rods would be uh, placed in there and that the Levites were supposed to be the ones. Is it Uzzah's fault that David did not go back and look at the Old Testament and the law and the instruction of God? That wasn't Uzzah's call. And did Uzzah cause the ox to stumble? No. Did Uzzah in his mind, we don't have the exact details of what he's thinking, but when he sees this, the this stumbling ox and that the, that the ark is, is looking like it's potentially going to fall, is he saying, I just wanted to touch it? It was in their house. He knew better. But in a moment, he reasoned and he logic. He made a he reasoned and his logic said it's best to do this. And what was God's response? He was instantaneously killed. And then the last one that we're gonna look at, and there are many more we could. No doubt we could look at Nadab and Abihu who changed the fire, or Ananias and Sapphira, who sold their property for the benefit of Christian saints so that they could give that to the needy and just held some back but proclaimed it to be all. And there are many more. But I want to look at our scripture reading because I believe the scripture reading has insight that's very important for us to not forget. All these examples we were looking at is the Old Testament, obviously Ananias and Sapphira is in the New Testament. But let's look at Matthew 7 real quick one more time. Matthew 7, 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So clearly there's going to be a group of people on judgment day that are not atheists that respect and have adoration for God to say, Lord, Lord. Not only that, these people are very different than than what we're going to witness today. The specific example is saying, many will say to me in that day, Lord, to have the ability to prophesy in your name. Was that a common capability of mankind to have the ability to prophesy? Do those exist today, those gifts? No. Okay. Well, what about casting out demons in your name? That was a miraculous indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the first century. That doesn't exist today. These people were, had a special gift that God had given for the spreading of the gospel and done many wonders in your name. But notice what Jesus says. These are not just people that proclaim to love God. These are people that had received some portion, the ability to prophesy, cast out demons, perform wonders... And notice what happens if they are not in complete obedience with God. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. God didn't know them. God had given the ability to prophesy, cast out demons, and to perform wonders. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Had they completely in all ways committed themselves to God? No. And God says, depart from me. Does it matter if we follow the authority of God in scriptures, in what we do, and how we think, what we recognize? I believe it does. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. 13 and 14, we've read it many times. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Lastly, as we conclude, what does God instruct us and command us to observe on a regular basis? We have clearly identified. I don't believe there's any doubt in anyone's Mind that is here this evening, and I would hope anyone that hears this in the future on a podcast or on our website that there is no commandment to remember Jesus' birthday. And we've identified that that doesn't mean Jesus' birth is not important. But we must ask as we conclude this are there things? Are there things for the Christian that lives in the New Testament? that they're supposed to remember and observe. And so very quickly, God has never struggled from the earliest of days of Adam and Eve in the garden to Cain and Abel of what He expected for sacrifices to us today, that if He wants us to do something, He gives us all the details we need to perform that. Think of the Passover, Pentecost, Pentecost atonement sabbath the trumpets memorial and there are so many others that we can go to and read about in the old testament when god wanted something remembered they knew about it not only did they know about it they had every detail supplied to them on how to do it the way god wanted them to do it and so do we and the first is the gathering on the first day of the week now we live in a time and a place especially after covid that you know what That gathering thing is so old-fashioned. I mean, really, getting in my car, driving to some building, why? We have technology. We have this thing in the internet. God has allowed us to develop it. Surely He would be happy if we choose any way to worship Him. We don't really need to gather. Well, in Acts 27, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, we're going to focus on those for our next two items. But in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 20, sorry, chapter 11, verse 20, and we could go through 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and several of these other passages to give us the idea that God wants us to come together. And we have Hebrews 10, 25 that tells us why. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more the day, the more as you see the day approaching. God knew it would be a benefit for His children to come together, to um, exhort one another. We do not need to change God's command for our conveniences or our logic. I heard a person say, the church building is done during COVID. Now, I'm not saying about anything about a church building per se, but what they were getting at is, we can do it all at home. We can all have it on our big screens and we can zoom it. That was their point. We don't need to come together anymore. That's old school. We're in the modern age. Did we just see some examples of what God thinks about us coming up with the rules of engagement and following the commands versus what He has said? The next, the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, Acts 20 and verse 7 I'm sorry, first um, I had in Matthew chapter 26, 26 through 29, this is the Jesus giving the emblems of what we should remember on the first day of the week. And then, I'm sorry, I'm having communication difficulties uh, right now. Um, but in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, now on the first day of the week, um, When the disciples came together to break bread, again, that idea of coming together, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued the message until midnight. We went over some of these items as we looked at what a Christian should look for, for the church that Christ established. And then the last piece is we have the giving. On the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. On the first day of the week, let each one lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And that is it. For us in the New Testament era and period, the final period that God has established, we have three things we're supposed to do. do As we did this morning on the first day of the week. We're supposed to take of the Lord's Supper as we did this morning. And we're supposed to give as we did this morning. Any effort to create another remembrance, feast day, whatever it may be, because of our emotions, or our reasoning through something is not following the commands of God. So in in summary, Christmas, what does the Bible say? Is Christmas in the Bible? No. Is the birthday of Christ mentioned in the Bible? No. Are we commanded to remember Jesus Christ's birthday? No. We've looked at the history of Christmas. Some of that is new to me. I had not heard of all those things. Hopefully that was helpful for you. We've looked at our current culture that is changing the paradigm and the argumentation of how we approach the discussion of Christmas. There's a lot of philosophies that man think of in emotions. Our Bible is what we need to lean upon and depend upon in our lives. We've discussed that Jesus' birth is important. It's the fulfillment of the seed promise. And God's authority versus man's intentions, let's stick with God's authority. Let's put our thoughts and feelings and emotions, those are secondary. We have an all-powerful, Almighty God that we serve, we are the creation. Let's keep God where He is and let's stay where we are and be sufficient in that relationship. And then lastly, we do have things that we are supposed to do that God has detailed and given us exactly what He wants us to do. Let's follow those. Let's do what God wants in God's way. As we conclude tonight, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. Jacob and I did not coordinate that we would double whammy this verse. But it's very important. It's very, very important. Especially, it's it's important for everyone here. The youngest of us to the oldest of us. We cannot forget this principle. Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Let's keep God as the creator and let's remain as the created and the servant. If there are any needs that you have, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song.